And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation. I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now, recently, you hopefully listened to our Demo Day episode where we featured many exciting companies that were a part of Kansas City's own Launch KC, Tech Assure, BCP Tech, that's powered by Brush Creek Partners Insurance Tech Division. And today with us, we have one of the, the six companies that participated in that. And, you know, there's so much stuff that goes on in the background of insurance, of all this different stuff. We've done a couple episodes in the past about it. Volumes and volumes of policies and data and users and trying to figure out actuary tables and, oh man, where do we even start? And that was part of what Launch KC worked with BCP Tech. To do, And by the way, we'll give a shout out because Brush Creek Partners does provide our insurance at full scale and startup hustles. So they do a great job. Check them out. Now with me today, I've got Alan Ringbald and Alan is the CEO and founder of Relativity 6. And we talked a little bit about this during demo day. Hopefully you saw the presentation on the startup hustle Facebook page. Uh, lots of cool stuff. We're talking AI retention engines and honestly, a whole lot of stuff that I'm hoping Alan explains to me how it works. Let's just dive right in. Alan, welcome to Startup Hustle. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. Oh, bit. Yeah, busy. I'm glad to I'm glad to welcome you from Cambridge, Massachusetts. Does that being from Cambridge, does that raise your IQ like 15 points just from being in the area? Isn't that like Harvard? Uh, no, not at all, but, uh, I'm glad ah, it shows you how smart I am. I'm glad you think so. Uh, and, and that's why our office is there to try to trick people. So, uh, appreciate you thinking that, um, Hey, it worked. It worked. It really worked. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> So, and by the way, before we get too far into this, uh, another shout out for BCP Tech. And today's episode is also brought to you by Fullscale.io. Now, let's just get started with your backstory. Now, we're going to tell, we're going to talk about insurance AI startups today and your journey with doing that. But where did it start? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Matt. And uh, unlike a lot, a lot of other people tackling the insurance space, um, who have experience, you know, either being an insurance broker, agent, uh, actuary, that kind of thing. That's not me at all. Uh, we we kind of took this from a technology perspective and, and learned about the industry over time. So a bit of a different approach. But um, just to give you some quick background about me, so you know who you're talking to. Um, so basically started started uh, started the company in 2016, um, but actually unofficially in 2014 um, as a Basically, uh, decided to go to MIT to to business school, but actually let me back, and that's the Cambridge part, but let me back it up a little bit. So um, I came here as an immigrant um, to the US. Uh, we landed in Boston, 
my mom's from Ur- my mom's from Israel. My dad's from Uruguay. Um, uh, I actually got naturalized when I was 12, so I was a resident alien, as they call it, um, which was interesting. Um, so I kind of grew up watching them work super hard. Uh, they came here with nothing. They were really young, kind of had to figure it out themselves. I, I think that's where I got this idea of, of hustling, of startups, of kind of making things happen on your own. Um, but uh, kind of flashing forward to college. So I ended up going to Brandeis University. It's a school kind of the outskirts of Boston, Massachusetts. And um, my sophomore year, I started my first company. Uh, it was called College Bellhop. And the idea was, you know, I was just noticing how students were, you know, buying all kinds of stuff, using all kinds of services from providers around campus. Um, but there was really no good portal or go between between the students and, and the vendors um, that live there. And I realized that like this setup is what, what happens at, at most schools uh, across the country. So ended up creating like one of the first e-commerce portals um, that connected students and all those vendors, food delivery, um, dry cleaning, that kind of a thing. So I actually did that, started that sophomore year in college. Um, it was actually, it got pretty successful to the point where it ended up paying for school. So didn't have to end up paying for school. Um, did it a year after school as well, and then sold it to uh, the biggest provider of this kind of a thing, a, a company out of Houston, Texas. Um, and then from there, went off to Google. So I spent about four and a half years in San Francisco uh, working at Google, working at all different kinds of divisions. So I started in 2006, kind of early days. But it was really cool because, you know, I came in early. It was still pretty chaotic there. Got to work, you know, in all different divisions, YouTube, AdWords, mobile, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of different functions. But ultimately, Matt, it was just so huge. You know, like literally I could go on vacation and uh, nobody would care or nobody would know that I'd left. Um, and like while the money was good and, you know, I was learning, uh, ultimately it was pretty soul sucking. So, you know, it was something that I knew I couldn't do longer than five years. Um but luckily, you know, as I was kind of feeling down a little bit, I got a call from this guy in Boston, back in Boston, um, who I'd known for years. And he told me that he wanted to start a candy company. So his idea was, I know I'm looking at your confused face right now, Matt, but uh, it'll, it'll make sense. Well, you, you said candy, which got one eye perked up. And then I got the other eye was confused because maybe, maybe AI candy. I don't know. Right. Well, it's not. But uh, the idea was basically um, high level kids are eating the worst for you type foods, corn syrups, poison, basically. Um, could we make a, a candy bar that tasted as good as Snickers, Reese's, M&M's, Twix, but way, way better ingredients, more sustainable ingredients as well. Same price point and same place. So not Whole Foods, but, um, you know, Walmart. Is like where we want distribution. So you you went from you went from Google and doing high tech stuff. Was Bellhop was that was that I mean was that an exit? Like, did you have an exit at like in your early twenties? Yeah, and that and that's when I thought it was all so easy and like I should keep. Doing it. Yeah, you usually do at that time. I get it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, by the way, it's it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of when you're younger and for you younger entrepreneurs out there, uh, startups and entrepreneurship will humble you at some point. And one of the reasons that we always encourage people to own your failure is because people that want to get involved with you, they don't want you to be the one that they get the first failure with. 
because right. uh, you feel you feel bulletproof. And like you mentioned, like you're saying, hey, oh, this seems pretty easy. I find it to be interesting. You went from Google to come back all the way back to mass and then and and now you're going to make candy. Yeah, I know. I know. My parents were uh, extremely disappointed. But, uh, you know, coming from no stability, they were so thrilled that I found a job at Google and um, really just wanted me to be there my whole life. But I, I just it wasn't for me. Um, the candy thing was cool though. Cause it was, you know, it was basically a big challenge. Like, could we take on like Hershey's and, and, and Mars, like big companies, like private, um, hundred year old, uh, mainstays. Could, could we, could we actually be a challenger brand there? Um, and that got me excited. And, and the other parts that were exciting are the, the, the main founder of this company was very successful. He committed a lot of money to it. We'd raise a lot of money. We even got celebrities. So celebrity um, endorsements was a big part of our strategy. Um, literally name like an A-list celebrity and they were a part of our company. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, it it kind of got out of control there. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, Matt Damon, Giselle, uh, John Legend, let's go on and on. Never never heard of any of them. Who are right, all those right, right, people? Right, just to, just to name drop early on in the podcast. But um, it was really interesting because that strategy honestly didn't work very well at all, um, which was quite humbling. Um, like to your humbling point, you know, this company had every resource in the world, but we had a, a pretty difficult time not selling into the big box retailer, but actually selling to the consumer. What we realized is the real battle, the real competition is once you get in store, not getting to the store. So it was a lot harder than we thought, um, even with money and resources and people. Um, so it was interesting. We did, I did that for two years. Um, in that time, a lot of professional athletes invested in Unreal. Um, so you know, I was a bit younger then, uh, made friends with, with a good amount of them. Um, and um, actually, so two years into the company, uh, I, got, I got transitioned out, aka fired. Um, you know, we'd spent a lot of money uh, we hadn't gotten the success that we were looking for and they were kind of looking to replace a lot of the management team. So as I left, uh, one of the NFL players, Patriots players, um, approached me and he was basically, he said, Hey, um, I have this contract from Puma. Um, I, I don't think the number is very high. Do you mind calling them and seeing if you could do better? And I was like, don't you have an agent? And he was like, yeah, but my agent's not, you know, I'm not top of mind right now. So called Puma, um, asked pretty bluntly, hey, could you do better than this? Like maybe five times better? And Puma was like, yeah, sure. So then I brought that back to the player and he was just like shocked and thrilled. And he was like, okay, we have to do something together. Um, and the insight that came out of that that was really interesting was that this player, while not a starter, um, is still very well known by about 10 million fans of the Patriots. So why not see if we can go direct to to the fan as opposed to going through an intermediary like a brand or anything like that? So this is 2012, 2013. You see this today all the time. But at the time, it was really cool and interesting because what we would do is every time that player had a good play on the field, we'd make a T-shirt. We'd put it up on his social and sell thousands of those T-shirts at a $30 price point. And that, that was an interesting business. And we actually actually scaled that pretty decently uh, as we went along. Uh, got it to the NBA, got it to professional soccer, uh, that kind of thing. So that was a kind of an interesting random experience. And, and I did that for two years. 
Um, the lesson with that one, uh, I started with my best friend. So I think you know where, where this story goes. Um, but, or sorry, my ex-best friend. Um, because by the way, that's usually the way that goes. Uh, I, I, man, and, and you know, I, I feel like I need to interject here because I had a whole section in my book, million dollar bedroom about this. And so my wife was able to work with me in the first business we started for like six or seven years. And that was so, that is so uncommon. Um, I have just had so look, it, you, if you value your relationship with your friends and your family, be very careful doing business with them totally. because they, they, they likely aren't going to share the passion that you have. They feel responsible for potentially participating or being involved. And it often leads to disappointment and, you know, friends, family, stuff like that. And, you know, I was, we were unique. Jill and I worked very well together. But so many people I've, I mean, literally nine out of 10 people I talked to have failed at with spousal, familial, and just basic friend relationships. So kind of like you said, it's often like the ex best friend. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. It, it's weird. It, it's, I, I've never been married, uh, but it, it really felt like what a divorce probably feels like when we were splitting up, like their assets we have to talk about and you know, it was very emotional, um, definitely a learning experience and, and something that uh, I tried not to do in the future. But anyways, so we went through that experience. Yeah. One, one thing here, so and this is interesting, because at this point, you can't even be 30 years old yet, right? Like, I mean, yeah. in that ballpark. Yeah, just about 30. I mean, and you're in that ballpark. And it, so you have a successful exit working for years at Google, working for a candy company. And then... Like, I mean, you'd done quite a bit of stuff at, at an early age and you're definitely like, we always talk about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Like, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a yo-yo in some regards through a lot of different industries and a lot of different stuff. I mean, let me just ask one question, like at, at and we haven't even gotten to your current business yet, but it's not, at the, that's okay. Cause this is an interesting story, man. And we were, we were, we were determined to talk about. Uh, insurance AI startups. Now, look, that might only be like 12 minutes of material. So that uh, <laughs> right. on some levels, but the, the success and like we're trying to tell the real story of entrepreneurship. So what I wanted to ask is like, okay, so friends, ex-friends, Candy, Google, and Exit, all of that. Like, what are like what are just like the uh, what's the biggest takeaway? That you looking back at that point, what are you thinking? Like, because I don't know if you've made any money, maybe you had it, you lost it, you a bunch of different stuff. Like, what's a big, what's a, the, at that point, what did you truly feel like? Okay, this is, I'm either really confused and I don't know where I'm going or I feel like I'm winning. Like, where were you at mentally with that? Because I think that's a, it's some interesting insight. Yeah. I mean, just like reflecting back. Um, no, I mean, it's really interesting you say that. Um, but what I realized is that, you know, I kind of, I don't know how to say this, but I was kind of riding the wave, like the opportunities as, as they would come. Uh, I just had that philosophy of, you know, keep my mind open. Don't think of myself as having like one specific career or trajectory. Just sure. let, let the world talk to me and take, take hints and then go try stuff and good things will happen. You're right. There are ups and downs. You know, at, at this point, you know, with, with Super Digital, which was my the company with my best friend, uh, it was a, kind of honestly a low point. You know, I really didn't know what to do next. This was kind of the big. I mean, did, did that was that just a fail? 
did that just no. not work out? No, 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 it's still going on. It's actually very successful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, so founder, founder disagreement founder or something. Disagreement. Right. Yeah, yeah. Founder. I, I went through. I went through that myself, man. Like one of my good friends was my original business partner in the million dollar bedroom story, and ended up having to buy the guy out. He didn't want to do any work. And I still want, I, I, I valued what he had done, but I knew that I wasn't going to be able to, to maintain that for 10 years or whatever. And I'm really glad it's the best stock purchase I ever made because right. that same business, like it turned into everything else. It turned into gigabook. It turned into full scale, turned into startup hustle. It turned into so much of that stuff. And if I was dragging around uh, uh, you know, like someone that wasn't really wanting to, well, I I'm passionate. Like I, I, I go all in when I do stuff and I, and I, and I, and that, here's the thing is that's a plus and a minus. Cause it makes me really intense to work with. Like some people can't keep up and it also has high expectations. So it can, if you're one of those people and you don't, you're going to really be bothered by feeling like your found your co-founders or your business partners aren't doing what you're doing. And that's where the friends and family thing often kind of goes south. Is, is that similar to what happened? Or? It is. This is my friend since I was three years old, you know? Um, mm, ouch. Yeah. So like a brother, but it was just too much. You know, there was, we had different opinions about how to grow. I think the fact that it was successful was also an issue, you know, because if it's failing, then you're both, both kind of in it. But when it's successful, it was, it, it, you know, you start getting a little bit greedy and looking around and like, you know, like seeing who does yeah. what. It's just it, it got like it got weird once we started making money, to be honest with you. The, the, the other the other Matt, Matt Watson, has talked about that a lot because, you know, he sold his first company, Vent Solutions, for 150 million bucks in 2012 when he was 29. And he literally points that out a lot. He says, you know, as uh, once uh, people started realizing what a lot of this was worth, like it really changed everyone's perception. Like, mm -hmm. shit, this is worth 100 million bucks and I own 20% of it. I'd rather have $20 million right now than show up to work every day. Exactly. And then someone else wants to grow it and there's all these different things. And like really in the end, and that's why it's so important to have okay, good fences make good neighbors, you know, and, and any agreement you should have with that. Uh, gosh, man, like, and I'm sure you've run into, Hey man, well, how should I split up equity? What should I be giving my co-founder? Like, I don't know what you should be giving. That's different every time, but what you should do is, is make sure that these vesting agreements cover rainy and sunny days, not just good and not just bad. And like, I see, I've seen, Oh dude, you've been around it. Uh, you know, you people lock it, they give away 30% of their equity and there's no out and it's just there. And it, and it, it's an albatross yep. for future funding for any of it. And it's terrible now. And I want to continue with the story. One thing I want to point out to everyone listening, the, the location of, of the setting so far is two of the most competitive places in maybe on the planet. You're, you're in Cambridge and Silicon Valley. Like, I don't know if there's high, I mean, you're, I, I just assume in both of those places that the majority of people like, I mean, here's the thing. You're in Cambridge for a reason, you know, it's the schools, yeah. it's different stuff like that. You're in the Valley for different reasons. It's like Uber competitive. Like, did you have a, just a completely different, uh, I'm in Kansas city, man. We're the 25th biggest media market in the country. You know, like we're the good old boys down here on good. some days. Yeah. What? You guys are great. What? 
Stop it. You're great. Well, no, but I mean, the thing is, is there, well, I'm super competitive, man. Like yeah. I hate losing, but, but you know, that's not always the nature here, but I would got, I got to think in both of those places, like there's a lot of like, I don't know, like, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe you could. Uh, no, I mean, it's that, you know, you're, like you said, you're in the most competitive environment, but, uh, kind of like in terms of reflecting back, uh, it's just what, another thing I love is just getting action, you know, like go where, go where the action is, the actions in both places. I've said that myself, man. I've said that myself like that. I mean, and, and, you know, one of the things too, is I want to commend you because like, I think we're cut from the same cloth. Like I, I was, I've always, I, we've referred to it as entrepreneurial ADD. And, yeah. uh, you know, like, and be careful with it, people, because there's so many things that I chased. And, you know, I, I, uh, I say there's a lot of ships left in my harbor and ships are best meant to be at sea. Uh, so, you know, a lot of unsailed vessels, a lot of money left on the table, a lot of, I don't know, dude, a lot of stuff. And, you know, that's part of doing it. I mean, I am I, very open about saying that I like I try 10 things hoping that one of them works. Totally. But when you find what you find that wave or that horse or whatever that rides, like you ride it and you ride it and you ride it. I just always like to have some backup myself because dude, you don't know when things are going to change. I mean, I've had always had multiple things going and it, it, I can look back and think about the times that business X saved business Y that saved business Z and Z saved W and like different stuff. Now they it's, there's uh you are going to water down your own effort and bandwidth with some of that. And that's a challenge. Yeah. So, yeah. But, okay. So it, we're going to have to talk about, let's get into it. Oh, we're, we're there. Yeah, okay. So, so, and we're okay. So for, for all of you listening, thanks for hanging out. We are now going to talk about AI and stuff like that. But honestly, man, I think it's a cool story. Like, I think that it's important to understand that the path to where people end up at whatever they're doing isn't always linear. Like, dude, you had an exit early, you work for Google, you made candy, you know, like whatever. I mean, it's like, there's, where there's opportunity, chase it. So in regards to what you do now. Yep. I, and and once again, go to relativity6.com. I do want to point out again that uh, that uh, uh, Relativity 6 is part of the BCP Tech program, a division of Launch KC. Really cool program we have here in Kansas City that reaches out nationally to try to pair uh, top-level investor partner companies with companies like Relativity Six. Let me ask real quick before we get into this: How did you find out about Launch KC? Yeah, I mean, I've I've been thinking about the Midwest for for a long time. Um, you know, been coming to Des Moines. Uh, you know, have things going in Chicago. Like we've seen a lot of in financial services. You guys are certainly a hub, especially as it comes to insurance. Um, it's something that. Like once I really got in the space, I realized how K how ingrained KC is with banks, insurance companies, that kind of a thing. So I just wanted to get involved however I could. It's, and you know, it's interesting too, because it's not just like, it's all types of insurance. Like we have a couple like pet insurance companies that pet are big. And, you know, so, yeah, dude, like we've had them on, we've had them on the show, Companion Protect, you know, and like fast growing company and like trying to keep up. We have some other kind of like Lockton's here and some other uh, pretty big insurance companies. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because different parts of the country trend towards stuff. We have a lot of ag tech and transportation, uh, agriculture. Well, cause we're in the middle of Kansas 
and then transportation is just inherent because we're in the middle of the country. So right. it kind of makes sense as a hub. But yeah, so that kind of, you know, like now when I think of Cambridge, Mass, and I think of San Francisco, I think of honestly, I think of cutting edge stuff like those areas, uh, those regions are always the leaders in things like AI, machine learning. I, I haven't been to New England in a bit. I was out in the Valley a year ago. Um, and, you know, I was talking to a lot of people. I just went out to TechCrunch to hang out. I talked to, visited some of our, uh, actually visited some Launch KC participants awesome. that were from the Valley and uh, saw about their business. We recorded some podcasts, did a couple of different things. But I mean, really what I realized is some of these places really are, and like you will look, when you're from Kansas or the Midwest, you don't want to hear about how you're not on the cutting edge of whatever. But I mean, they're doing some really cool stuff with emerging tech and whatever that is in, in these places. So, Absolutely. you know, I, th- I think that can play to your advantage now. Okay. So you were thinking about the Midwest, but what brought you, what, where did you run into launch KC? Yeah. I mean, again, just in, in working with like GIA and like a lot of different programs um, out there, I just got recommended um, from so many, like almost everyone I talked to said, you gotta, you gotta look into launch KC. You gotta look into launch KC. Hmm. So, you know, definitely that's good. Highly regarded. So are, you, are you familiar with how, how they pivoted that program? Cause I think it's so awesome. No, I'm not. So Launch KC has been around for a while and, and they were giving away $50,000 grants, but they'd only get budgets for like anywhere from 12 to maybe 20, uh, which, you know, look, 50 K is 50 K. But that said, would you rather have a 50K investment from a top level partner that can move the needle for you? So what they figured out was that they could do a better service for startups, Kansas City, and all of it if they found top level partners. And that's where BCP, Brush Creek Partners, which inherently is an insurance providing company. Like I buy my business insurance from Brush Creek and Travis Holt's the founder of that. They do a great job. Stephen Alex uh, did a great job of running the program, but they align a, a a company like that, that wants to actually make an, a, an investment of some size. But I love that because they have a vested interest in your success. Hundred percent. It's not just like, Hey, here's, here's a grant. Good luck. No, no, no. Like I, you can get the best of both worlds. That's great. So it's interesting to hear that people have heard about that outside of KC. I like that. Yeah, uh, by the way, most of the companies in the launch KC program are actually not from here, which uh, it ruffles a couple feathers here and there. And then we get over it. So I, I can see that. Right. I can see that. But, All right. Yeah. So, so and, and by the way, because some of the clips from today's show, you may have already heard in a different episode. Um, what, I mean, with, how was you, and we're going to, we are still going to talk about your startup. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but overall, like, what did, what did you want to accomplish in the program? And then I think, then let's just talk about what you guys are accomplishing. Yeah. So, we decided, and we'll get into this, but we decided from all the different verticals and use cases we had that um, our product was best fit for the insurance brokerage space. So just wanted to align with, with obviously BCP um, is, a, is a great model there. And just wanted to learn as much as possible about this market, about these types of users as possible. And BCP did a great job of getting me in front of a lot of different agencies so I could actually show my product, get real feedback, and actually get like real contracts and relationships started. So honestly, I've done probably more accelerators than I'd like to admit, to be honest with you, Matt. But this has been, you know, not not to offend uh, the other ones out there that are great, but this has been the most impactful for me by far. 
So, I, you know, and I love Excel. I have a love hate with accelerators, dude. I've never, I've never done one. Yeah. Um, so maybe I don't get it, but I'm involved with a lot of them. Uh, we've been involved with launch KC for a year and we've done some other stuff. Um, but you know, one of the things that I've always said is, you know, every business has a different set of problems and requires a different set of solutions. So some of these, some of these things try to like bundle it up in a box and like, it makes some weird assumptions like, okay, everyone's at the same stage, needs the same stuff, needs the same programming. And like, I, that's one of the, that's one of the objections I have with some accelerators. But that said, I think for so many people, it's that instant validation. Now, uh, for those of you listening, come join us and the Startup Hustle chat on Facebook. And we do some interesting polls there. And one, I put one up recently that said, it basically was like, my business would do better if I had more. And I, it was like capital, uh, connections, like a whole bunch of stuff. Connections and introductions ran away with that poll. Like, and and I was honestly surprised because I just thought I I I I don't know. Some people are like, oh, give me the money, I'll figure it out. Yeah. But I mean, it really was. It, it was. It got more than half of the votes for about six or seven answers. So wow. I mean, you're you're on your fifth startup or fourth or fifth startup. I mean, looking back at it, what's more important? That what would you vote for? Yeah, same connection. Honestly, it doesn't make sense to start something until you talk to enough actual customers and get a sense for what they're actually looking for. And honestly, if you take money too early, you're just wasting your own time, right? Because you might not be going down the right path. Um, so all day, I'll take uh, intros um, to actual potential buyers. So with the way that LaunchKC did did this stuff, go to launchkc.org if you want to check it out. They do different cohorts or verticals. So everyone in your class, more I, the co word cohort was nothing I've ever used. It's a weird word, right? Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's in your like your class, your group, or something. But you were in there. It was all insurance tech, and and you know, go back and and check out demo day. Go to the startup hustle. Uh, uh, Facebook page and check out the video that we did with these guys. Cause you know, we, Hey, we did the best we could during quarantine, you know, it's a little more difficult, but I mean, you know, do you like, did, did you enjoy, was it really attractive to know that you were going to be partnered with someone that had a vested interest in you? Like, like in your direct industry? I mean, was that like a huge motivating factor? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Alignment is big, right? We, we need We need that engagement. It's hard enough to, to start something. Um, so you need as many partners as you can get. And ones that are actually vested in your success um, are always better from my experience. So yeah, that was a big part of it. Okay, so 30 minutes in, what's the problem that Relativity 6 solves? Let's get into it, Matt. Um, so yeah. actually- Well, I, we I, had to set it up. We had to set it up, man. Like, I mean, you know, for those of you listening, I mean, we will be, how could you learn about any of this if we didn't set the table and the plates? So. Absolutely. And I'm going to I'm gonna do another two minutes of table setting um, to make it make sense, if, if, if that's okay. It's all good. We've set, a, we've set a standard in this episode, and we need to remain true to the brand standard of this episode, which, by the way, I've officially changed the name of to Ups, Downs, Wins, and Losses. Okay. So, and that's okay. Dude, that's what I love. That's what we love about the show is like, I, we want it to be unscripted because we, uh, you know, like, and, and I think you can validate, I, I kind of set up before the episode. I'm like, Hey man, this is conversational. We're going to talk about stuff. We might get off track. I don't know. Let's just talk about interesting things and try to help people like not make the same mistakes we've made. Totally. 
All right. All right. Here we set go. Set it up. So I'm going to set the stage. So I had just been, you know, I just had my huge fight with my ex-best friend. We have this successful kind of sports marketing company that we built, um, settled there. I was, I had nothing going on, honestly. I, I was out of the company that I started uh, with my best friend. Um, and I didn't know what to do next. And uh, luckily, I got a call from MIT. So MIT is interesting. So I grew up in Boston, drove by it my whole life. Never for one minute did I think I'd actually get in there and actually know anybody um, who'd been. And growing up, I'd actually never known anybody who'd gone there. So, you know, the classic so close yet so far away thing. But, um, you know, I did I did make a good connection. And, I you know, long story short, I started working there as an entrepreneur in residence um, within their uh, entrepreneurship center. So basically, you know, I was basically advising uh, students from all across campus um, in everything related to venture building, um, you know, venture formation, everything related to that. Honestly, the best seven, eight months of my life. Uh, it was insane the type of technology that, you know, the types of students in tech that walked into the office every single day, completely inspiring. So inspiring that, uh, you know, I decided to apply to the business school, never thinking I would get in, um, but I did. Uh, and through that process, you know, I'd obviously made friends with a lot of, lot of professors, a lot of students, ended up collaborating with one of my classmates and a professor of ours, uh, all around the idea that AI, machine learning, probably the most transformational technology of our generation, yet only two or 3% of companies actually use it. Because it turns out this was about four years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. Four or five years. I mean, dude, for for the life cycle of like, uh, well, major use of machine learning and AI four years ago was an eternity. Exactly. Like, I mean, literally, like you mentioned, like so few people using it. Now I mentioned being out in San Francisco last year when we left after the first day of TechCrunch, we were joking because we put my machine learning algorithm does like in front of every sentence that we said the rest of that (laughs) night, like my machine learning algorithm will choose how much ketchup I need to put on this plate right now. Cause dude, everybody we talked to was like, they said those exact words. Like it sounded like a parrot. I know. Was I know. saying those. Yeah. Now that said, there there's so many different levels of it. I got to assume you're getting into some high level stuff at, at MIT though. Yeah, we, we did. But I'll tell you, honestly, I, I do feel very shamed and dirty to even say the words AI machine learning based on how buzzwordy it's become. But, yeah. you know, like four or five years ago, it was still relatively new, still very interesting um, but like what we, what we realize is there's actually three key issues with people using AI and machine learning the right way and operationalizing it. Uh, long story short, there's a lot of issues with data and data understanding, a lot of issues with infrastructure. So a lot of the data is siloed when you really do need to have the data kind of talk to, talk to each other and then create a, a real feedback loop to get better. And the third really ignored area is the actual user experience. So the how do the predictions actually show up to a person who's non-technical who needs to use the stuff? So those were kind of like the three core issues we realized. And throughout school, you know, definitely did more of this than classwork, but really focused on understanding this problem and creating a solution so that so that you could take raw data and turn it into like 
a real prediction that was actually accurate and useful and delivered in a way that wasn't crazy and complicated. So that was the pursuit. Those are all good points. Like, especially the third one, when you talk about the user experience, because like four years ago, any AI platform, so data visualization, right? And, and that's, that's what, that's what Alan's talking about here. Cause like you're talking about, all right, so machine learning use, I mean, a lot of people use Python, but then there's like other languages R and just different things that aren't common, different kinds of servers, different kinds of input, different kinds of output. And keep in mind when you're building custom software, it doesn't just come with a dashboard. Like, so, you know, you get like, where, how are you going to look at this data and, and data science and machine learning have these massive data sets sometimes. So you're like, Oh wow. Like, Hey, here's a spreadsheet with eight, 80,000 lines in it. Figure it out. Exactly. I mean, and that's, and that's that. So the problem is so many people have with machine learning and AI stuff is like some of it would do the actual first couple of things you talked about. And then how do I do anything? How, do, how Okay. How do I make this actionable? Exactly, exactly. So we were dead set focused on that. Uh, right after graduation, got lucky, got our first big customer, and it was an aircraft manufacturer um, who also happened to have a private jet division. So we got hired on by that private jet division to help their salespeople prioritize who, should, who they should be speaking with next. Um, very interesting problem set. Um, but it was kind of like a, an edge case, but we took it on. It was really interesting. Good first use of our tech. Um, as that happened, uh, my girlfriend of five years died in her sleep, um, almost like right after, after we signed that contract. Uh, yeah. So uh, like right after we graduated from school, we signed this big deal, literally like three days later, uh, I find her passed away in our bed. Um, wow. and, yeah, so that happened like right, right when the company was kind of getting started, it was pretty, pretty crazy. Um, but like, in, you know, had to keep going. We had already fundraised a little bit for this, um, had some traction and honestly it was, it was a great distraction. So I kind of poured myself into the job. Um, but you know, so just, you know, in terms of ups and downs, like that was certainly, a pretty brutal one, obviously. Um, so that happened about uh, like four years ago, almost. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Yeah. And you know, the thing that that's that's tough, and so many people experience some of that feeling with COVID is like, yeah, I mean Murphy's law: the is, the worst thing's going to happen at the worst time, you know, or like when you don't expect it, and. I mean, I, you know, so many people were, were bullish on so many things earlier this year and COVID hits and just like throws a complete like, and you know, like, and here's the thing is it's easy to want to be weighted down and to get sunk by that stuff. So I commend you for getting through a tough time. And, you know, sometimes you said it's like uh, psychologists probably wouldn't say it's healthy to just always bury yourself in your work. But in some of those cases, that's it's a welcome distraction, because if you're just sitting around thinking about it, uh, it can be tough. And, yeah, you know, I mean, did, did you were you, uh, you know, and once again, sorry for your loss there. But I mean, was there was there something that that motivated you or helped you get through any of the tough times? And that might go back to any of the other uh, businesses you have as well? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. But I, I just kind of, I, I don't want to say ignored it. Uh, you know, I definitely was feeling the pain. But 
I got a lot of reprieve from uh, all the all the meetings that we got, all the interest that we were getting. Uh, I was traveling basically all around the world selling this platform and trying to find the right vertical for it, the right user. Um, got a lot of contracts going. So I, I would say it, it just was really helpful to 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 have that distraction of the work. And this was a company that, you know, based on my experience, I knew had a lot more interest and traction um, than other companies. So I knew I had to, you know, I had a duty to keep pursuing it. So I did, and, and I'm really glad I did um, because, you know, a lot of people were telling me that I should quit, take some time off, that kind of thing. But again, like throwing myself into the challenge, uh, I think uh, couldn't have been more helpful at the time. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so now you guys are doing some cutting edge stuff. You're gaining traction. That's always exciting. Uh, I I'm, I'm willing to bet that. Okay. Here's the thing is based on the region you're in, the fact that you probably had a difficult time finding anybody that knew anything about this tech, uh, probably ran into some, like you said, raising some money or some capital problems. Like what, uh, I, I got to feel like being coming out of MIT and having a background as a successful founder, we have pulled so many investors and just people in general. Who do you, who do you bet on the jockey or the horse? Like right. you're a jockey bet. Like you've, like you've found multiple success and even had failure, which like I said, is not a deterrent from right. someone putting money into you. Like, I mean, did that, when it came to raising capital and all that different stuff, like were you guys more centric at that point on raising money or building revenue? Yeah. Revenue always to start, um, you know, in best in, form of capital, it is. Right? Like, you know, there's, yeah. there's a whole nother conversation to be had about institutional money and everything that comes with that. I, you know, I, I had had that experience before. So always top of mind for me was freedom and the ability to stay creative and not get on that VC clock too early, right? Because, you know, the second you take that institutional money, it's like you got to get to the next round and the next round and the next round. But in our case, you know, I really knew that AI machine learning was still so nascent. And I knew that we didn't have the endpoint solution that we were looking for ultimately. So I wanted to stay flexible. Um, we got some early money in, which was great. And we did take angel money. So angel money was really helpful to us um, in our early days uh, because, you know, these are supportive people, right? They have a stake in the game, but they're not, on, you're not sitting on your board telling you what to do. Um, and I think that was instrumental because we went from aircraft manufacturers to retail to ultimately three years ago, we found the insurance space and that's where we are today. But, you know, if we, I'd say if we took the, the, the classic seed round, like VC money day one, um, I don't think I'd be sitting here talking to you today. I think I would have been done already because ultimately we realized in what regard. Yeah. Cause if we probably would have gone down the wrong path because we would have had to use the money we got and like bet early that we knew what we were talking about and we knew exactly where we needed to go. And the reality is we didn't know where we needed to go till six months ago. And we've been around for four and a half years. So, you know, I, I certainly believe that this company would have been out of business if we took any kind of early large checks. So we built this thing on 50K, 100K checks um, for the most part. Um, and and but, but hang on, let, let me check my math. 10 of those hundred K checks is still a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a, it's a little more work to get to that, but Hey, 
Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, I've talked to a lot of people that would prefer to have 10 different $100,000 investors than $1 million one. Cause you have, if you pick the right people, you got 10 people that, that are interested in you succeeding. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. You also have 10 people that you could potentially have be a giant pain in your ass, but that's always to be determined until after the story's progressed a little bit. Exactly. Um, Question: Because raising money is is such a hot topic here. What's a what's something you've learned when it came to being successful, and something you've learned to not do to be successful? In terms of raising money, yes, yes, yes. Like if you're walking, you're like anything. Like it could be anything. I don't know, dude. Like if you had to give one tip one do and one don't for raising money for the listeners and, and this will be good like i mean what what do you got traction you got to come in with some traction you got to come in with like real stuff if you come in with a deck uh and a and a good idea and a couple free pilots uh you're wasting everyone's time including yourself i'd say you're wasting your time more than anyone's uh because you know that money comes with a lot of strings and you're going to be committed to going down like a certain path, like assuming you can even get through that conversation and get the money, which is, I think it's a fallacy, right? Like uh, the percentage of people that actually get institutional money is so low that in my opinion, especially in the early days, that's time better spent going and getting customers and seeing if you actually have something people are willing to pay for. And if they're not, do something else. Because again, like I said, the worst thing you could do is raise a lot of money, not validating something, and then literally like wasting years of your life pursuing something that wasn't really going to happen anyways. So I'd say like, yeah, just come in with some real, real firepower, or you're kind of wasting everyone's time in that room. What What about a don't? I mean, is that is that that is kind of a don't? Yeah, that's kind of the, like, the, a, do, the like a do and a don't. Like yeah. you're accomplishing a couple different things there. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's been a common answer when asked. You know, as far as like, I, I think come, come proper, come prepared, uh, have reasonable expectations. You know, like. I mean, and you're right. Like it's, if you have something that has traction or any level of adoption, your possibility of getting money, like it, like an MVP versus like, hey, I got a great idea and here's my pitch deck. Those are two completely different value propositions. Uh, investors inherently don't like to pay for development. Uh, they want to, they want to come in at a point where it's like, hey, I take my blowtorch, light this fuse. And by the way, this blowtorch is spitting out hundreds, you know, and like, I mean, that's the dream for most investors. They don't want to hear about how you need 90% of your money for product development. You haven't proven out your cost of acquisition, blah, 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 blah. So like, and with what you do right now, like, I'm sure that was somewhat difficult because you're selling enterprise level products and insurance companies are, well, they're usually pretty big. Yeah, exactly. Not only are they big, they've staffed up their data science teams like crazy, right? So yeah. you know, I'm walking into environments where, you know, there's hundreds of data scientists in the next building over. So, you know, in the early days, it was difficult to really sell this like endpoint product of this like data science platform. So it certainly ran into issues, you know, when I did want to get feedback from those VCs, um, you know, and honestly, they were right. You know, like it was too early. We, we still needed time to, to understand what it is that we were actually doing and focusing on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, only now, literally like four and a half years later, do I feel like 
institutional money makes sense for for what it is that I'm doing. Um, but you know, most companies don't even last four and a half years. So true. You know, true. I mean, you got a ninety percent chance of being out of business within two years. I mean, you know, it depends on what you're doing. I mean, the one thing, and, and keep in mind for those of you that are startup hopefuls or entre have entrepreneur dreams, um, when you start a startup, it doesn't come with an owner's manual. <laughs> so uh, that's why franchises, uh, and you went to, uh, they taught you this at a 100 level business course at MIT Business School. So for franchises are successful because they come with an owner's manual. Like, I mean, literally like 95, 97%, because it's proven and you get built in business. Like if you open a subway or a McDonald's, like people are going to be there the first day you open, you're going to have a stream of revenue. It's a proven model. And there's an 800 number on the back of an operating manual that you can call if you can't find the answer in the book. And that, that's what I think so many people underestimate the like will be required to have a successful startup and you know maybe that's where we can begin to wrap up like what part of your planning and overall like you have a like okay anytime you're analyzing data and doing all this kind of stuff like eh, there's a lot of deep options there it can go a lot of different ways like what from your original plan what percentage of that to date has actually come that's been like, oh yeah, we were right 38%, uh, you know, like what so much of the plan always changes is why I say that, but from a planning perspective, documenting and preparing, like how, how was that a ton of work with your current company? Ton of work. You know, we were, we were, so I'll do this last part quick, but we ended up really focusing on the large enterprise for the last two, three years. So, you know, engaging with companies all over the world, basically revamping their data science infrastructure, like doing the whole thing over again. Um, that took a lot of documentation. Uh, it took, you know, a lot of experience, a lot of time, that kind of thing. And then, uh, so we'd worked with carriers, wholesalers and brokers, kind of three big areas within insurance and, and got deep in with all three. Um, but realize that our technology, which essentially what, what it comes down to, I think I'm answering your question 20 minutes later. Sorry about that, Matt. But what it is that Relativity sucks, ah, Relativity 6 does. Ah, that was hilarious. No, not Relativity sucks. That's relativity not good. I feel like you did that to yourself. You have joked about your own name. <laughs> and that was like one of those like Freudian slips or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the name is so hard. Like I can't even spell it sometimes. So like that's a maybe a regret, but anyway. it's okay. We've, we, we've had people accidentally say startup hassle and I'm like, no, that's still, no, 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 that, yeah. is still that is still on. So yeah. yeah, yeah it's hilarious. But no, so here's what it is we do. So we've, we've done all this data science, but ultimately what we focus on is cross-sell. So we feel like we're the best in the world at understanding the relationships between customers and the policies that they purchase over time. So we've mapped over 150 million customers and their behaviors, purchasing patterns, everything like that. And our goal really is to help companies grow grow organically, right? Instead of spending five times more to acquire new business, let's focus on your current customers and understand what else they might need in a certain at a certain time. So that we feel is our core competency and we use machine learning to do that very well. And we've realized that insurance brokers care a lot about this problem. It's something that you know hasn't been solved yet. Um, it's not something that, that companies necessarily focus on, but we feel like 
getting that right and being that layer for every insurance broker is something that we aspire to do. And we feel like if we can do that, good things will happen. So that's, that's really where we are. I, I'm going to dumb this down a little bit for myself and everyone else. And you talk about that mapping of, of stuff to stuff. So uh, we mentioned at the very top of the episode talking about, you know, like these massive amounts of data, these policies, all this different stuff, these different offerings. So now you're an insurance and tell me if I get this right. Now you're an insurance agent and you're talking to me and you want to sell me something. And you don't, you might not even know that something exists, much less that it's a good recommendation to give me out of a 1500 line offering. Now, look, uh, math, just or just hashtag math here. If you have a hundred things that could map to a hundred other things, you know, you've got a lot of possibilities. And when you start talking about thousands, 10,000s, 15,000s, the ability for us as humans to accurately and unbiasedly map that kind of stuff is not realistic. And these are the kind of things that, that companies like yours are like, this is, this is a, a, a great solution because it's helping people find the products. It's helping the business sell the client what they need and justifying why to do it. And then here's the thing, man, if you want, okay, if you're my, that's what I enjoyed about Brush Creek Partners is they really helped us tailor make our insurance policy to the specific needs of our business. And I don't have, I deal with other insurance companies. We handle their IP. We have employees in multiple countries and all that stuff. And like some of that, like they were like, Hey, you don't need this, but you might want more of this. And I mean, that, that that's the thing is like, you want to have some faith in whoever's recommending these products, especially things that protect your family or your business. And I mean, d is that correct? You nailed it. And the one distinction is it's not like we'll ever replace the Brush, Brush Creek advisors, the ones that you talk to, right? No. But we can at least give them the options that are available that we yeah. make the most sense. Yeah. And that was the whole point. And, you know, like, here's the thing, the people at that office, they want the input too. Because think about how daunting that feels, especially if you're not, if you haven't been doing it for 20 years. And it, all the people we've talked to about insurance tech and so much of that is like, dude, these policies are massive and there's so many of them. And then apparently what happens is they get iterated across all these different offices, like technically one red line of one thing and one contract now means you have two policies, not one. And it gets crazy. It gets and, crazy. and that's what the... We talked about in a prior episode about that. And, you know, my friend Chris, uh, who is in a similar space, is talking about, hey, the insurance companies don't even know what's in their own policies sometimes. And that's a problem for them and for the buyer. So, well, all right. So we end our, this is, I've enjoyed this episode, by the way, because we did it backwards. And I might have needed that on many levels. So thank you for providing variety on that. Um, but I, I really think, you know, well, dude, this is a good, you know, this is a great story. And like, and, you know, much like entrepreneurship or startups, sometimes you begin the story and the journey and you think you're going one direction. You're like, you know what? I kind of like this one too. So now we end episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the founders freestyle. And you've got so much perspective, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to hold you into a, a into one lane here. Okay. With all the different things you've done and all the different things you've experienced, what is the best advice you can give an entrepreneur slash founder? Yeah, I'd say don't think about it too much because you're not that smart. Nobody is. Uh, just go, go do it. 
go do it, go make mistakes, um, iterate from there, just be brave and, and try, expose your stuff. I hate the term stealth uh, startup. It, it doesn't exist to me. You have to socialize what you do and beat it up until you get somewhere. Um, nothing starts in your head. Um, you really have to put it into the real world. Yeah, I'm going to parlay off that, man, because I think, you know, I, and I a quote myself from uh, my book, Balance Me, like somebody just had to jump and build wings, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, there is nothing that will make you now look, you should make sure you have the stuff for the wings before you jump. Um, that is an important component of not hitting the canyon floor. That said, if you have what you need, nothing will make you build the wings faster than the impending doom of the canyon floor. Um, there's no such thing as the right time, people. Like, that is a myth. Uh, I've talked about that a lot. It doesn't exist. Uh, if you find yourself saying it's not the right time, sure, there are some times that are better than others. Um, but really, if you find yourself saying it's not the right time, 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 you really need to sit back and think like, am I making an excuse about why I'm not trying to do it? It's scary. Like, can, can we agree? Is entrepreneurship scary? It's, it's terrifying. I, I wake up every day horrified and, and terrified. Dude, I say that to our clients, like, cause we built full scale to be four, four founders by founders. I'll say, I said that literally in a call right before I got on this, that's podcast. I said, guys, I know where you're at. I know what it's like to wake up at three in the morning and wonder if you're going broke, if you're crazy, or if every single decision you have made was wrong. I I've been there. I get it. And, and, and guess what? I'll probably sign up and do it again. So I mean, overall, man, I really appreciate the input here. Congratulations again on joining us for one of my, if not for my favorite entrepreneur and startup program. Kudos to Launch KC, to BCP Tech. Once again, go down to the show notes and go back and watch our video presentation. That's right. You can confirm that we have faces made for radio. <laughs> and also, if you want to come chat with us, join the Startup Hustle chat community. We started it two years ago and recently decided to actually try. Got a, a four-digit number of people in there, but I'd love to see you all come join us, uh, join our hosts, join our guests occasionally, and join each other to talk about some of the stuff we've learned that you like, that you don't like. If you want to say something mean to me, I might even read it out loud on the show. I'll see you next time, Alan. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>